This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. Welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Renthal Street hard anodized chain wheels, up to 66% lighter than steel sprockets, engineered for an advanced aluminium alloy with hard anodizing coating, significantly increasing wear resistance. It's not quite so easy to say that but so uh, we do love Renthal. thanks for sponsoring us guys as well as fly racing another episode here of the paddock pass podcast and quite a special one actually we're kind of veering a little bit away from motor gp well only slightly because we've got a special guest on the show today uh, i'm also joined by david emmett and neil morrison hello guys how are you getting on uh neil i won't ask you about your motorcycle uh uh well test i mean not even at the 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 stage of testing yet but education but dave um you've had a bit of a run-in with the new bmw perhaps you'd like to tell us about that episode and how you achieved 58 degree lean angle (laughs) yeah that's right so if any um uh, i am going to sepang so if any uh, motor gp teams need me i can uh, get uh, 58 degrees but um it does involve me going very slowly around a slippery roundabout and tipping off so um yeah that's uh no it was uh just one of those things. I was getting, uh, I was getting overly ambitious, and the roads were frankly crappy, and um, uh, it all, it, it just went a little bit wrong. Did you have it on your elbow? You trying to see if it? Do you know what? I did actually have it on my elbow, but that was more just to try and pull the clutch in rather than anything else. So, um, I mean, it weighs a little bit more than a MotoGP bike, so actually lifting it on the elbow is uh, uh, is a wee bit tricky. Dave, I think you said something like you've only been out five or six times so far on the new bike in the Netherlands because the weather's been that lousy. Yeah, about seven. You, you know, what is it just... Seven or eight. Just just, be, <laughs> yeah, just because it's been, it's been absolutely miserable. It, it, genuinely, um, it has been on almost every day, it has been grey and miserable and, you know, you get to choose between sort of foggy and damp or um, just grey and damp, so it's um, it's been utterly, utterly, utterly miserable. I'm going to go to. Um, uh, I mean, Rosie, my wife is um, uh, is going to come along with me to the Moto Two test in Portimao just to get away from the bloody uh, greyness and miserableness. What's uh, what's the first MotoGP race you're going to be riding to on it, Hareth? Uh, no, no, no. Jerez is too far. Jerez is, uh, uh, from my house, it's nearly 3,000 kilometers, which is um, uh, a long way to go on a bike. Probably, possibly Le Mans, if I can actually find somewhere um, to stay, which is, which costs less than uh, about a million euros. Um, but otherwise, it will be uh, Saxon Ring. And then, Neil, you've been like preparing for the MotoGP season ahead. Dave says he's going to Sepang um, and he's kind of, well, I guess you're still negotiating all the, the red tape to get there, Dave, and to get through customs and, and whatever else. Uh, Neil, you're going to be one, you're doing after the flag again, is that right? Will MotoGP fans be able to see you online wrapping up the test? Uh, no, they won't, Dad, actually. There's a, there's a, a bit of a different lineup uh, scheduled for after the flag at Sepang. Uh, I don't think I'm really allowed to, to say what that lineup is going to be, but uh, I guess any viewers of MotoGP.com can probably guess that uh, it might reveal the, um, the replacement for Steve Day, who uh, obviously is uh, moving on to Pastures New in 2022. Um, so I will just be a keen observer from my, my flat in Barcelona, which um, actually... Having listening, having listened to Dave fill out all these forms to try and get his way into Malaysia, uh, seems like the the preferable option actually uh, to uh, actually travelling uh, halfway across the world to watch motorbikes test. So for all these people that you know would like to know the new presentation team and who's going to be on the uh, the principal commentator of the world feed, just bombard Neil's Twitter feed, and I'm sure after um, <laughs> plenty of hassle and um, persistence, he will give up his secrets. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I have to say that I think everyone who is going to Sepang is living in fear of uh, because we have to do a PCR test on arrival. Uh, and if that comes back positive, then we're basically going to be sort of stuck in our hotel rooms for pretty much the entirety of the stay there. So 
Um, yeah, not looking forward to that uh, at all. Um, but apart from that, it is a lot of a rigmarole. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a, a you know we have to stay in a particular hotel, and so obviously the, the hotels are taking advantage of that. Um, so yeah, it's just it's going to be a lot more difficult. But um, it's going to be interesting because. All of the new bikes are going to be out. We're going to see Mark Marquez obviously riding the uh, the, the new Honda, which is going to be interesting. Going to see what tricks uh, Gigi Delinia has got up his sleeve. Um, uh, so yeah, we've got it, it. Should be quite interesting. We've had the first uh, team launch of the season, or this week rather. Uh, you know, of the with you RNF Yamaha team. If I've got that right, the whole complete title, brand new team, of course. Uh, Razan Razali kind of resurrecting. Uh, you know, the Patronus Yamaha team in a second, guys. Uh, Guy, what are our thoughts on the bike? I, I, I mean, it was a very fanciful presentation in uh, Verona's Opera House, but it, the bike maybe wasn't so inspiring. Yeah, I mean, I the, the setting was absolutely spectacular. It looked absolutely fantastic. Um, I like a bit of opera now and again, so it was great. Uh, and also, Verona is just a, a stunning and beautiful city. Um but the thing about the bike was there was an awful lot of stickers on there, which um, would seem to suggest that there's uh, they need quite a lot of um, uh, they need quite a lot of sponsors. I'm actually quite surprised that they didn't do it similar to the way that Lucio Cecchinello does, which is he doesn't um, sell sort of you know a sticker for or a, a particular stretch of real estate on the livery uh, or, or on the fairing uh, for all of the races instead he sort of like says look you can be title sponsor for six races or seven races um, and you get a much much bigger sort of exposure but it's much more limited you know the rest of the time you're much smaller on the bike um, so yeah I, I think that's a much smarter way to do it but it was there were yeah there were a lot of there were a lot of stickers on there, and the bike was quite dark as well, which was uh, a surprise. Yeah, I can't argue with the the blue and black. I think um, that is a, a usually a tried and trusted color scheme. But uh, as you said, Dave, it does look a bit busy with uh, about three thousand different sponsors uh, cluttering up uh, the midsection of the fairing. Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing too revelatory about the uh, about the presentation. I think uh, Davizio was at one point said this is more than likely going to be his final year in MotoGP, which I guess is no great surprise. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was just the um, usual kind of um, everyone's very optimistic going into the season type presentation. We've, uh, of course, got a special guest on this episode of the podcast, Daniela Petrucci, um, you know, previously our, well, most people's favorite MotoGP rider, now a Dakar star in his own right. Uh, you know, I contacted him earlier to get on the podcast and he said um, he'd done more interviews in the last week than he did in a whole year of MotoGP. So, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say he had a bit of an impact on his first showing. Um, unfortunately, went out of the rally um, in terms of the competitive standings uh, on, the, on the second day, but then kept going and, of course, took a, a stage victory. I think it was on stage five, five or six anyway, and then had a pretty good uh, run of it. And then, of course, you know, there's been a lot of conjecture about his his future. Will he be attempting the rally again next year? Will he be in Moto America? So it'd be good to you know get his take on things when he joins us in a few minutes. But um Guys, I mean, we're not Dakar rally experts, but I think Danilo's um, progress in the competition was was pretty surprising, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, to me, certainly, yeah. I was surprised that he did so well. I wasn't paying very much attention to the uh, to the rally. I should be perfectly honest. Um, but yeah, you you would expect him to be, you know, lagging around the twentieth place. Um, but he seemed to be running at the front right from the start because, the, 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 like, the biggest challenge. Um, I sort of ride a little bit of off-road and I sort of get involved in various communities which are involved with uh, with rally riding and stuff. And um, to me, like the biggest challenge was the navigation. The navigation just looks absolutely insane. To act, so to actually do that well while, you know, learning to navigate that way, that to me was really the absolute most impressive uh, impressive achievement. Renthal Fat Bars are synonymous with off-road world champions. The Renthal Street Fat Bar draws from decades of experience to create the ultimate 28mm handlebar in a range of street-specific bends. Whether you're looking to alter the height, width, rise, or sweep of your handlebar, 
Renthal Street handlebars offer a bend to suit your requirements. Use the WorksFit handlebar comparison tool at renthal.com to find the perfect bend. Ciao, Danilo. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. How are you? Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm with the car. Uh, it's been a long day. Still uh, not make it to my, my target. But uh, anyway, we can do it. Danilo, is it true now that you've got an extra press officer, you know, a makeup girl, um, <laughs> you know, personal assistant? No, it's uh, uh, now I I need to continue with the Dakar style. You need to do everything by yourself. So yeah, I, I'm. I did also. I, I discovered myself that I'm a good press manager during the Dakar. I was able to to fix all the timings uh, with uh, with all the the journalists and so on. So yeah. <laughs> Danny, it was um, it was fantastic to see you racing like that, and you know, enjoying yourself. Clearly, I mean, some of the emotion and in your interviews and your posts and whatever else. Um, did did the experience live up to what you hoped it would be? I mean, obviously, you had disappointment on the second day, but then you won a stage. I mean, it was, uh, it seemed wherever we looked on social media, it was um, you know, Danilo Petrucci has has had such an effect on the Dakar. Yeah, at, yeah, you know, it's always um uh mm, in my life in general it's always quite uh difficult to understand because uh yeah and uh i mean uh, i thought was uh was a difficult experience the dakar i imagine and uh i wanted also that the dakar uh, um, uh for me needs to to be like a pilgrimage and uh, the problem is that when you are uh, inside, you always hope that uh, the race could be a little bit shorter, a <laughs> little bit easier. And uh, yeah, uh, was so, so, so long, was so difficult. I didn't expect was so, so difficult, especially uh, it's the, the Dakar is so difficult that it's, it's even difficult to describe it. In just uh, a few words, because uh, till um, until you are there and you discover all the Dakar stuff, you don't imagine how big everything everything is. And uh, yeah, has been really a sort of pilgrimage for me because uh, yeah, uh, has been tough. Has been uh, some moments I really had a lot of fun. In some other moments, I was uh, really scared. In some others, I wanted just to put my Google Maps on phone and go back to the <laughs> airport di directly from uh, from the desert. And uh, but it's really a mix of emotion. Started everything more than one month ago when I broke my ankle in Dubai. So already coming to the Dakar, going to the Dakar was uh, difficult because I didn't know if I was able to to race. Then the the COVID, the positive COVID test. Uh, then uh, the, the 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 electrical failure at the at the second stage. So really, uh, a lot of things. My stress levels went really really high. I lost uh, ten years. I think I lost uh, <laughs> a, a lot of hair, a lot of blood. I lost everything. I lost my my, my mobile. My passport, my credit card, <laughs> my driving license. For this reason, I'm not driving. <laughs> so it has been for sure uh, quite eventful. This is true. What was the most difficult thing? Was it the stress? Was it the lack of sleep? Because for me, one of the things is, I mean, apart from just the physical demands of riding four, five, six hundred kilometers a day and then hard off-road, uh, there's also, you know, getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning, having to ride so long, uh, all the rest of it. Uh, what was the most difficult thing? And also, like you say, the stress of all of these tests. It's um, really um, a, a mix of everything because, yeah, I, I was already, let's say, upset when uh, for MotoGP we had to wake up at six. And uh, I always complain about why we have to go 
racing so early in the morning, doing the warm up or FP3 so early, and maybe in some in some places like uh, Philip Island, I don't know, or uh, in Austria sometimes, and uh, was really really scared. And uh, for sure, uh, learning the navigation has been tough because uh, still uh, don't understand some some notes, some drawings. And then especially this year, they did it quite difficult for more difficult for the navigation. Uh, they they just uh, like uh, uh, put one or two boxes together for uh, adding. So let's say one note was not uh, was just not one, but was three in one. So you really need to to read it carefully and understand it. And especially you are never in the environment you think because uh, when you arrive there, it's always something new that you didn't uh, have the chance to see before. Then I must say, yeah, it's like uh, I was complaining quite a lot during the race for pushing the, the theme for say, why we, we have to do that or why we have to do this. Or uh, for example, the morning liaison was uh, something like, uh, you know, the, the, the torture, the, the, the um, Chinese, uh, the Chinese drop <laughs> on your head. <laughs> that the first 20 minutes you say, ah, it's not so cold. It's okay. We, you live at 430 in uh and maybe some sometimes we we'll, we left also at four four o'clock in the morning sometimes at five but uh the, the wake up time were always between three and four and a half in the morning and uh let's say then do we we need to do maybe sometimes also 300 kilometers in the morning and uh was uh was tough because uh, at four o'clock in the morning, you you ride for three hours in a highway. You don't see anyone, just the stars. And I saw really, really incredible skies. But then, uh, then uh, was uh, really, really tough to go racing at seven fifteen in the morning. The sun is just. Uh, it's just up few millimeters uh, in the, in the in the sky and uh, you go racing at uh, I don't know 7 7 a.m in the morning you go flat out six gear uh, into the, the unknown because it's like that and uh, I, I'm discovering that uh, now this week off at home, I, I, I discovered that uh, the wake-up time were uh, quite tough because uh, still struggling to make it through 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, dinner time. Still uh, still difficult to, to manage. Ciao Danilo. It's, uh, it's nice to hear that um, a MotoGP rider like yourself doesn't like mornings. You're like David and I. Uh, we can't really function <laughs> so well at that time. Um, but Danilo, I'd like to know just um, obviously... In MotoGP, you're always searching for that last one hundredth of a second, one thousandth of a second, and sometimes, how does the kind of the the pressure compare when you're doing a, a Dakar stage uh, to MotoGP? Do you feel a little more free in in some respects? Yeah, yeah, you feel more uh, more free, and especially, let's say, you can manage your pace and uh, your rhythm better. I mean, the race is so long that this is another uh, thing that I needed to, to understand. Because, uh, yeah, for me, uh, was let's say it was uh, a thing that did help me, having that rhythm all the stage, because uh, for sure you cannot go 100% for a four hours or five hour stage. And especially you cannot go flat out where uh, you don't know what's behind the cliff, what is behind the corner. So you have, always have to keep uh, a space for uh, recovering a mistake. But uh, for this reason, it tells me quite a lot to keep that uh, 80% rhythm for four hours instead of the 101% for 
in MotoGP. But in the other hand, it was very difficult to understand that in the Dakar, um, let's say you are always the instinct to want to catch that last second on a cliff or in a corner where you need to to be more faster or you want to be more faster or you want to keep the throttle open because you say okay if i keep it now i may but uh, for my side let's say it's uh, much more uh, about the navigation because uh, in uh, in the dakar for gain two seconds you can lose uh, everything. And for a rider that is not used to do it, uh, it's uh, something that you need to understand. I mean, uh, you need to have fear at the Dakar. You need to, to stay really, really calm and to understand that the race uh, lasts uh, 12 days. You cannot uh, go 100% and especially you need to accept that sometimes you can lose even uh, 15 minutes looking for a waypoint. You just ride perfectly for uh, 300 kilometers. You arrive at the last 30 kilometers, you miss a knot. Like, uh, like I, I experienced it another time, I was fighting for the top 10 and I missed the, the canyon. I thought uh, I, I need to go into a canyon. And there was the, the canyon later. I mean, there was these two split canyon, and uh, I saw the mark. I was confused, but there I lost, uh, for example, 15 minutes after riding four hours in a, in a perfect way. And there's something that uh, it destroy you. It, it's just uh, destroy you. It's like uh, the really, really bad feeling when you lose yourself. It's something that I. I it's it's difficult to accept. One time I was the, the day after I I won. I was uh, really it was a matter of second that I say okay. I pick my phone. I try to look. I I try to look if there is some uh, some signal, and I go back to the road and I go away because I was completely done. I crashed at 120 kilometers per hour after uh, two minutes of racing. I got a big cut and I say, today I'm gonna, I'm gonna retire it. But I say, no, don't, don't give up. So like uh, <laughs> the smartest navigator, navigator, I went into an hill that was a little bit up. That, uh, that big plateau, and I saw another rider coming, 100, one, one kilometers and a half from me. I go straight into, the, into this plateau in the desert, and I, <laughs> I, went, uh, I went following Mason clean, and uh, fortunately after we stopped the race because it was uh, too tough. Danilo, um, you know, we saw some nice stuff from you in the rally. I mean, you stopped and said hello to the kids. That was a cool video we saw on your social media. But, you know, after the electrical problem, you went, I think, from 22nd to 15, then you won. And then the rest of the rally was pretty consistent. You were hovering around 20, top 10, top 30. I mean, do you think if you were a team manager, you would sign you up for another go? Uh, let's say that people were uh, quite impressed. By, by my performance, also me. I thought that uh, top 20 was possible in a stage. I was trying to, to say, okay, it didn't know the, the level of the other riders. I knew that regarding the speed and the skills, I was quite okay. But don't know anything about navigation and especially strategy. But yeah, if I let's say if I will be a team manager, I will give a try to Danilo next Dakar with a proper <laughs> preparation with uh, Morocco rally and uh, with proper preparation because uh, you know what I I I did ride my my rally bike 
for uh, uh, eight days before the Dakar start. So also the first stages, the first uh, pair of stages with my with my ankle, I was not sure. I need to have a good good feeling with the bike. Fortunately, the, the few days of testing, I use really my all my experience for set up a bike that uh, I even didn't know what the, the terrain be like. So I said, okay, I want to have a bike safer. I don't change a lot, but I use my skills to, let's say, uh, have a safer bike on the fast areas, on the stones, not so, let's say, not so much reactive on the on the stones. Maybe it was a little bit too soft on the dunes, but on the stones and on the hard back is where I, let's say, made, uh, made a bit of difference. And uh, with a few days of preparation, was an incredible result. So, yeah, I would like to to have a proper preparation and uh, uh, yeah, a, a proper uh, training and uh, having a good setup on the bike and give a good try. Um, what is next for you, uh, Dinello? Because we have talked. I mean, you, you know, you're saying you would like to, to to do it again. Is that going to be again? I know there's also been uh, uh, things linking you to Moto America, going to the US, and and uh, going to America racing there. What's next? Uh, yeah, uh, it's not uh, it's not official then because it's not uh, yes. We are not uh, uh, still uh, still done, but like um, I, for the first time in my in my life, I put myself before the the sportsman. I mean, I put the human side before my my career, and this is my first time I did it in my life because uh, for uh, racing in MotoGP for a uh, state. Uh, many years in MotoGP, you have to sacrifice all your uh, life for uh, for doing it, and that was the best sacrifice I ever uh, made. But then, uh, for sure, uh, uh, I wanted to make a life experience to say, okay, I'm still young, and I want to see how is the life out of my continent. And uh, especially, I I did like a lot the, the behavior of uh, the uh, old Ducati people, from uh, Gigi to Zapati to Domenicali and also Tardozzi, that they were really, really happy to talk with me again and to have, it, uh, to have me again on board. And especially, yeah, in the other side, uh, we didn't have a good uh, dialogues with KTM, and uh, so we never had a discussion or a fighting or something like that. But uh, they weren't so, let's say, uh, clear about my future. So uh, in uh, in combination, for sure, with KTM, we decided to to quit together and uh, we'll see in the future how will be how will be our uh, our uh, relationship so i decided to to go back to road racing let's say but as i told you i would like to continue in my in my uh, let's say off-road experience one thing that i want to do is uh, do a proper preparation of the dakar with a proper preparation uh, rally and uh, a proper Dakar. Danilo, we saw a few years ago um, with cars, Fernando Alonso entered the Indy 500 after you know winning in Formula One. I think he talked about uh, the, the trinity of the Indy 500, the Le Mans, 24 hours, and then obviously winning a race at Monaco. I just wondered if you see your future in a similar way. Are there other life experiences other than the Dakar that you are interested in competing in? on two wheels uh, was uh, really uh, really for me uh, first of all it's a it's a big pride to, to be compared with with fernando i just 
he was uh, third in a stage. I was able to to won. Now I just miss uh, two Formula One titles and uh, <laughs> and, and uh, some some uh, Formula One victories. But uh, uh, yeah, it's something that I would like to to try. It was uh, I was really really curious to try also to do the two hundred miles of uh, Daytona, but uh, they race with uh, with Super Sport. Let's say I want to think one one thing by uh, by by another. I mean, uh, one uh, do one thing uh, at the, one thing at the same time and not put a lot of a lot of things together. Uh, for sure, uh, the Jagger experience has been huge, and uh, it's a life life experience. Also, it's on the human side is really really good. Going to North America also is a thing that I really like because on the human side uh, I have been appreciated a lot and uh, this is a good thing. I did not uh, look last year to any superbike options, for example, because for me doing the, the, the superbike and the MotoGP is the same, like the effort. And uh, in the last the effort you have to put in for a MotoGP. GP rider and a superbike rider is always uh, the same. I mean, uh, you the, the effort is uh, is huge. And after uh, two difficult years, I was uh, quite tired of it. And um, let's say I the the thing that uh, surprised a lot of people at the Dakar uh, was uh, see me smiling a lot, like I was not doing since a lot of years. And uh, sincerely, I want to do like this. I want to continue with this uh, approach to the races. For sure, uh, at the Dakar, after uh, I, I got no pressure. After two stages, I got a, a lot of pressure and uh, more than I got in MotoGP. And for sure, going to USA is, uh, is the same. I mean, um, uh, for sure, everybody thinks that the target is to win the championship, but um, still, uh, and jump on, a, on, the, on the bike. I didn't see the bike, and uh, so we have to do a lot, a lot of things before uh, thinking about uh, the future. But uh, yeah, the main target is to have fun first. Then uh, maybe I can think uh, in the future. I'm not so young. I'm not so old. But uh, I would like to race in superbike maybe. But first, I want to recover my feeling to enjoy riding the bikes. Well, Danilo, you know that uh, Ducati now have the Desert X. So if you want to start riding the Dakar on a different bike, it's a good chance. But um, listen, th thanks ever so much for your time. We just want to ask one last question of you. Um, you know, Sepang is coming up. Um, you know, what is it like as a rider having two months off the MotoGP bike and then go into that test? Um, I mean, I've heard other riders before say that your your wrists hurt, your ass hurts, you know, every muscle in your body hurts. It's a real tough couple of days as well as physically, as well as trying to work out what the new bike feels like. And and secondly, you know, what's your thoughts on, on MotoGP this year? If you had to put uh, some of the Dakar prize money on uh, on a rider for the championship, who would you who would you bet on? Um, yeah, first of all, I, I was. I was talking with uh, with uh, with Enrico, my friend, that is uh, driving, uh, and I said, uh, "Fuck!" Uh, after uh, one career in MotoGP, one season, I didn't have rest, and I go straight to to the preparation of the Dakar. But it was uh, even more stressful because after one week, I broke my ankle, so I needed to have training in a completely different way. And uh, then the Dakar, so all the stress, and really it's one week that I'm go that I'm uh, yeah I'm in my home, and really was tough to to say mm, now I have to rejoin the training, I have to go again. For sure, uh, I will not ever miss the Sepang test in my life. <laughs> uh, I will. I mean. Uh, I could have paid for not going when I when I was a factory rider, and uh, I I think I, I think uh, if you for sure now 
all the riders, they, they, if you ask all the MotoGP riders, they say, no, 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 we, we want to do that, we want to go, but uh, in reality, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I, now that I'm free of, of, every, of uh, every deal, I can, I can say the truth and... Uh, The Stepan tests are really, really, after uh, two months of not riding, riding in the worst place you can go with a bike in a, such a uh, demanding track with demanding bikes and especially with a demanding factory behind you. It's something that, uh, yeah, I would like to go, to go there and uh, ride, but just the first half uh, morning <laughs> when the track is prime and uh, the is fresh and you got new tires and you can go flat out. I still have the the, <laughs> the, the record, I think, uh, from 2019 of that uh, Sepang test. But yeah, it's uh, really uh, I remember so well that the third morning in the Sepang test you are uh, so tense for make that lap time that uh, is like a qualifying of the last race of the season. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I will miss a lot riding jokes apart I will miss a lot like riding that bikes first all the mother GP bikes are uh, a lifetime experience and uh, it's the really the first things I the first thing I, I will uh, will miss then I saw so hard uh, the, the, the test because you are not riding since two months uh, the for sure the temperature is so different compared to European European uh, weather, so it's it's really tough. It's really tough. But uh, I must say that uh, all MotoGP is tough. From the first test to the last race to the last lap of the race, it's something that uh, it's like the Dakar. It's difficult to describe it. Then, uh, for answering the second question. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, for sure, one of my best best rider with I have a, I have a really a good relationship is uh, Jack Miller, and uh, I would like to see him. Uh, uh, let's see, I don't want to to say anything because uh, I don't want to bring bad luck, but uh, I would like to to see him uh, fighting for the top position, but. I think uh, uh, at least two of his uh, challenger are uh, they ride uh, the same bike like uh, Martin and Peko. I saw Peko really, really fast in the last part of the championship, and especially I saw the Ducati really, really fast all along the the way. And uh, uh, it's difficult to say one name, especially because Marquez is coming back. Quartararo also will be fast. And uh, like like every year, there are at least eight, nine riders that can win. Danilo, you cannot you cannot be like David and say eight or nine riders. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, David say eight, nine names, so he's sure that he will he will be right. Exactly. No? <laughs> 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 It's, it's easy. There are at least eight nine riders that can win a race and uh, other ten that they can stand on the, the podium. Anyway, I would say Jack. Okay. I would say Jack, even if uh, I don't know about uh, I don't know about Peko because Anyaya uh, last part of the season has been really really tough, but uh, also Marquez. Yeah. Difficult, difficult to say. But uh, for friendship, I I can say Jack. Danilo, um, we said it in Valencia, but um, you'll be missed. Uh, I, you <laughs> know, thank you ever so much for uh, talking to us on the podcast, and um, I'll catch up with you when you're doing your MXGP Grand Prix, or maybe you're in AMA <laughs> Supercross next year. Um, you know, it, yeah. yes. Watch this space. <laughs> I, I have to. I have to tell you that this uh, an idea. Not not the supercross, but uh, the MXGP or the MXGP is an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Danilo. Cheers for joining us, and the best of luck. 
Thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank Ciao. Thanks, Nilo. Ciao, Daniel. Ciao. 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 Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. I mean, I we we talk a bit about. I mentioned the comment that you know there was a lot of emotion in Valencia for his last Grand Prix, but um, I mean, Petrucci over there. The, we had one decade in MotoGP, didn't he? I mean, twelve podiums, two victories. I mean, there's plenty of riders who have been in MotoGP for a similar time frame, or you know, and they haven't quite achieved that. But maybe just the human impact or the human influence he had uh, on those that met him. Um, you know, he was, like Neil says, a completely charming, a very human, like a humble and modest guy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fantastic that he was able to come and tell us about the Dakar, of course. And, you know, I'm sure his presence in Moto America will also give that series a boost like it did to the rally. Uh, yeah, that's the thing about him. It, he, he is... Uh, I think he describes himself that way as well. He's he's an ordinary guy. He really is just an ordinary person. He's an ordinary person who just happens to make it to uh, a factory team in MotoGP and and winning two races in MotoGP, which is an astonishing achievement. Um, B never thought of himself as anyone anything other than you know a normal guy, and he never behaved as if he was anything other than a normal guy. I mean, you know, he worked just as hard as everyone else, did everything he had to do, um, but he never he never displayed any of the sort of arrogance which you see some sort of champions um, uh, display, some riders display. So th that's the most impressive thing about him. And his story is, you know, it's such a fairy tale story about coming in as a as a test rider and um uh, for the for the Aprilia based uh, based project and, and you know riding around the back on this really slow old bike coming from Superstock. Um so it, it, it's proper fairy tale just sort of like seeing that. But the way he was always the same person, you know, no matter whether he was with the Yoda team or with the with the factory Ducati team. He didn't his his behavior didn't change beyond, you know, just growing up. Yeah, he was always quite self-deprecating even in his his best years in MotoGP. Um and I think when you work there and you're dealing with guys coming through from Model 2 that are being talked up as the next big thing. You know, they obviously carry a, a certain amount of swagger and self-belief. And Danilo was just the, the, the complete opposite of that. Uh, as well as maybe finding his groove and, and getting up to speed from a riding point of view. He also felt that mentally he almost had to convince himself that he belonged in, in MotoGP. I remember he once told me that... Um, I think in one of his first years in the class riding a CRT bike, he, he did a lap behind Casey Stoner and he said he just was watching Stoner at the time, just thinking, how the hell is he doing that? And I'm not even in that sort of world of, of, of riding, you know, but, um, you know, he, he stuck at it and he gradually got better. I think you look at his time with the Pramac team and then going up to the factory squad, you know, there was a steady improvement there year on year. Maybe it wasn't always spectacular and maybe it wasn't always... Um, the level that um, Ducati bosses demanded um, with, you know, Ducati being one of the strongest packages on the grid at that point. But um, still, he managed to get bring, bring himself basically from the back of the grid right the way to, uh, to the front on two occasions. Um, and, you know, I think we might have mentioned this back at the end of last year when we were doing our um, Valencia show. But, um, you know, I loved his quote where he was just talking about his impact on the sport. And he said, maybe, you know, I'll be the last normal rider to ride in MotoGP because all everyone that comes from Moto2 nowadays is like some kind of phenomenon that's been fine-tuned in this kind of crazy tight um, class where everything's pretty much equal. And you're just basically working on yourself the whole way. And he's basically didn't come from that world. Um, and, you know, it's quite refreshing, I think, to have had a presence like that. Yeah, like you said. Oh, sorry, Dave. It's like you said, Neil. I mean, it was the, the humour sometimes, wasn't it? I mean, just the normalness of him. I mean, I can remember you and I, I can't remember if all three of us were there, but it was a debrief in Catalonia years ago where he was describing how he had fared through qualification and practice that day and then just suddenly broke off 
in midstream and they said guys why why you come to listen to my bullshit each week <laughs> and it was, it was it was it was completely disarming and you kind of think well you know it's not bullshit we're interested in how you're getting on and it's uh but it was um it was just like this self-awareness really and i think that's what made his victory in Mugello that that emotional because there was a, such a like a tidal wave of goodwill towards him um from what he had he had achieved and um you know i'm just i'm very curious now as to see what he goes on and, and achieves because i think he's one of those guys who has a kind of open-minded character and mentality to be able to you know really stretch out quite a long career yeah i i mean that's the thing he has over overachieved at just about everything he's done and i suppose dakar was no different to that um the, the, where he came from in in motor gp like, like i was saying coming from supersport or superstock was it still superstock thousand and then uh, racing in MotoGP, racing around on the on, on that Aprilia CRT bike thing, um, which was not much faster than a than a stock uh, a stock Aprilia, uh, and then to make it all the way through, he had all of his and his build is completely wrong. He's too big. He's too muscular. He's too heavy. Um, he's too not so much tall because he's not he's not particularly tall, but he is just broad. He's just you know really built like a brick outhouse, as they say. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, everything he achieved, he it, achieved that. And I really liked the idea of saying, no, I'm choosing for myself now. I want to go to uh, uh, America. I want to go raid for, race for America because I want to enjoy racing motorbikes. And I think that's, um, uh, that is also quite remarkable. Doesn't like mornings, built like a brick outhouse. <laughs> Another uh, similarity with yourself, Dave, uh, Danilo Petrucci. And more hair. He's got more hair than me, though. <laughs> they keep adding up. Yeah, but I think it was interesting also what he was saying in that conversation there, just about where he sees his, his career going. Obviously, Moto America looks like it's going to happen with Ducati. Um, I spoke to Danilo at the end of last year, and um, you know he's pretty critical of, of how Ducati treated him um, or had treated him in 2020 um, and you, you sensed that there was a bit of bitterness there he felt that they weren't appreciative of his efforts and uh, weren't appreciative of his achievements with them um, and you know he, he laid the boot in a few times but obviously they've, uh, they've they've kind of welcomed him back in and um, you know he did say that uh, maybe his uh, his career could follow the, the superbike trajectory. I mean, we've seen Loris Baz go to Moto America and uh, since find a really strong ride in the World Superbike Championship. Um, you know, and maybe we'll end up seeing Danilo there in, in future years. I mean, it's clear that, uh, you know, if you win a MotoGP, I think, you know, you can go to superbikes and it's not a guarantee that you'll be competitive, far from it. But, um, you know, he is the kind of name, I think, that would, uh, that would be a real asset to that championship as well. So, um, yeah, that that could be an, an interesting development in the future for sure. Yeah, big thanks to Danilo for appearing on the show. Uh, if he's listening back, we love you, Danilo. Um, he mentioned Jack Miller, of course, you know, um, one of his great friends tipping him for better championship or aspirations or success in 2022. And elsewhere in uh, the world of MotoGP, Jack Miller, of course, had the problem with um, the plague um contracting covid19 or maybe a stranded omicron variant for all we know uh, it's caused a delay to the official ducati presentation um guys i would say that this is something we could see in the first weeks months of the season isn't it because of this the uh, uh the transmission the easy spread of this um you know the kind of i don't want to say the embers of the the latest covid nightmare um, because we don't know how long this thing's really going to last before it peters out. But there is a real threat that, you know, also with some of the instability or inconsistency of testing, that, you know, guys, mechanics, staff inside MotoGP could be, you know, looking at a good 10 days, a week to 10 days out of action. And that could have some, you know, implications for preparation and maybe even the first races of the year. Well, yeah, I mean, not only that, I think because, especially because this uh, Omicron variant seems to be uh, extremely uh, infectious, but uh, a lot less damaging. Um, it, it seems as if sort of everywhere around the world, governments are looking at their rules and, and changing the way that they sort of cope with this, the way that they handle it, um, uh, whether to, whether to uh, open things up, close things down, uh, how it's going to affect travel and all the rest of it. So th it, it, it's just going to get a lot, lot more uh, complicated. It's going to be difficult to see. But certainly the fact that it is that much more infectious 
uh, I think is going to mean that people are going to end up being, uh, yeah, they're, they're more likely to be infection. I think we're going to see more absences from the paddock. And I think we're going to see uh, quite a lot of changes with how it's been, uh, how the whole thing is handled, especially as it's not so infectious and everyone is, uh, or, or pretty much everyone in the in the paddock is now vaccinated, um, at least double and probably triple, um, then it... Yeah, I think Dorna will also start to think about, uh, is there anything they need to do differently? Is there any, any way they can change it to, you know, make it safe? And especially, it seems society's view of the pandemic is changing. It's no it, it's no longer a pandemic and they're looking at view more as an endemic disease, the way they're treating it more like flu. And then that then sort of changes the whole, the way that uh, the way that everything gets, gets handled and... Um, yeah, there's, once again, you know, it's another year where there's so many unknowns. Well, I hope we've raised your temperature slightly by listening to the Paddock Pass podcast on this latest show. Um, we'll come to you next week, early next week, before Dave jets off to run the gauntlet of tests and uh, entry restrictions to Sepang. Um, I think we've got the Red Bull KTM and the Tech 3 KTM factory racing presentation at the end of this week. Is there anybody else, guys, that we uh, can talk about early on next week's show? Uh, I think there's another one, but I forget which I forget which presentation. It's a, it, it's all been sort of uh, shifted around and moved around and uh, and all the rest of it. So yeah, I'm, I'm off the top of my head, I can't remember. I think there's Suzuki, one more. Yeah, Suzuki and Yamaha are happening in Malaysia, so we'll have to hang on uh, to to see you know how radically different the the bikes for those teams look. Uh, don't you know? Hold your breath. I would say um, is perhaps being a little impolite, but there we go. Uh, Neil, will you be up to much before we record next week's show? Uh, moving flats, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, just um, getting some notes together. Um, yeah, preparing basically for, for the year ahead. It's going to be a busy one, um, just like uh, just like last year, just like the year before. Um, and it does require a bit of a uh, mindset change. Uh, as you know, the first two weeks of January were just moseying about the house, moseying about the neighbourhood taking it very very easy but uh but yeah um just a bit of uh just a bit of preparation ad and then you know uh, sepang i mean that we're pretty much up and running again and crack on with those bike lessons guys thanks ever so much for joining us here on the paddock pass podcast we've been presented by rental street and of course fly racing and we will be back with you next week this episode of the paddock pass podcast was produced by jensen beeler david emmett steve english neil morrison and adam wheeler it was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. At least I don't have to take my clothes off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mi- Michelangelo. Mm.